0: Thanks to the two Johnnies. It is Wednesday, the 19th of October. This is Game On. Coming up on the show, Keen Tracy is with us to talk about Ireland's squad announcement for the November series. It's raining medals in the boxing world, so Gavin Casey will bring us up to speed on all of the medals that Ireland have won over the last few days. Of course, there are plenty of Premier League games to get stuck into, so Chris Tracy is with us. Plus, we'll have cricket Nathan Johns, who will join us all the way from Australia. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or please at Game On 2FM.
1: Game On,
0: on 2FM. Welcome along, I'm delighted to say that Keane Tracy is with me here in studio to talk rugby because a little bit earlier on, Ireland announced their squad for the upcoming Autumn International. Andy Farrell named a 37-player squad um, for those upcoming games. Keane, it's a pretty settled squad at this stage, but still a few talking points. And I guess when it comes to rugby these days, I feel like we're always starting with the injuries and that's the case again.
1: Yeah, it's whenever an Ireland squad gets announced, Marie. It's people are looking at who's not there rather than who who, who is in there. So, yeah, there's a there's a couple of guys ruled out through injury for sure. James Lowe, Ian Henderson would probably be the, the biggest ones, really. Um, Ronan Kelleher misses out as well, but that had been flagged. Um, earlier on, he's going to be out for two months. So, you know, I think there was hopes that James Lowe would be back for Leinster either this week or next week. But that obviously hasn't proved to be the case. So he's still struggling. And yeah, like it's it's more of a case of the the guys who Andy Farrell has opted to, to include in his squad, despite the fact that they're either carrying knocks or haven't played at all this season. Guys like Hugo Keenan and James and Gibson Park haven't played a single minute since Ireland's tour to New Zealand during the summer. So um, there's a lot of guys carrying injuries. James Ryan, Ty Byrne, Craig Casey, Kieran Treadwell, Ryan Baird, Josh Van der Fleer, <laughs> Jack Conan, <laughs> Calvin Nash who's captain of the squad. So there's a lot of um out I would say but I'm not really surprised that Andy Farrell has included them all the same I'd say his plan is to get them into camp next week and get a full kind of look at them and see where where people stand but he certainly doesn't want to be going into that first game against the Springboks with uh, with some of those guys not playing
0: Yeah and especially given the fact that it is the Springboks and you know, we've got all these injuries going into it who knows what we'll have at the other side as well
1: mm. That's the thing and also like, you have to look at there's two more rounds of the URC to come th- in the next two weeks before that game now the Ireland players are only going to play this weekend now maybe Hugo Keenan and Jameson Gibson Park might be released to play for Leinster ne- next week if they're not involved this weekend so that'll be interesting to see but you'd imagine there could definitely be casualties on the back of uh, Munster and Leinster full-blooded derby at the Viva Stadium so Andy Farrell will certainly be hoping that's not the case in terms of guys that are in I mean it's brilliant to see Jacob Stockdale mm-hmm. back in he's another guy who is carrying an injury and was probably a bit of surprise that, that he was included purely for the fact that people thought he was out for a while at it's been a bit, little bit hard to get information to to see where he was at but it's, it's brilliant to see him back in and he could be if he's fit he could be really really important he's become a bit of the I would say the forgotten man of Irish rugby and you think back to 2018 when like he set the record for the Six Nations for try scored in that Grand Slam and winning campaign and how good he was and he's had a really tough time with injuries he lost his form as well but I think if you look at someone like James Lowe went through something similar Mm -hmm. I would say and you look at how well Andy Farrell and the Ireland coach has kind of worked hard with him and now James Lowe is a much more rounded player so it's brilliant to see Stockdale back in because he's still a young guy Still the same ages, like the likes of Andrew Porter, James Ryan. He was on that team in 2016, the 20s team who got to the World Cup final. Um, so it's great seeing him back in, and I think he still has a lot to offer, particularly with James Lowe missing. We've seen how important James Lowe's left boot has become for Ireland. It's an absolute torpedo, but it's also, it gives you another kicking option in the in, in the back line mm-hmm. because uh, they don't have that left footed option. But it, A few years ago, it would have been Simon Zebo uh, and whatnot. So he could be very important. Um, if he can prove his fitness in time, he he hasn't got a lot of game time under his belt uh, this season but um, I think it's brilliant seeing him back in
0: Yeah good timing as well like we won't feel it till the World Cup comes around as well so the more players you have playing at that level um, and fit at the top of their game the better so we know that Bundy Aki is suspended for these games against Fiji in Australia so Andy Farl name named just three centres mm. in his squad and for a while there have been a lot of calls to get Stuart McCluskey in there he's in now
1: yeah, he's he's in there fully on merit. Even if Bundyaki had been available, I think Stuart McCloskey would have been would have been fully deserving. And it's going to be a big opportunity. I think you know, all things being equal, it's going to be Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose starting against the Springboks. But you look at that Fiji game and maybe even the Australia game. And if, if Stuart McCloskey gets a chance, I think he's got to take it. We've seen we've seen his form for Ulster has been outstanding. But in I know he's only had limited opportunities for Ireland but even on in the summer tour he played in the second Maori game he got called up as a late replacement and he did, he did well he did okay but I wouldn't say he kind of pulled up any trees and kind of you know said I, I have to be starting so there's massive fanfare behind him it, like a couple of years ago it was John Cooney and now it seems to be Stuart McCloskey so if he gets a chance he really needs to take his, his Ulster form um, into the Ireland setup because he's been a key reason why Ulster have been so good over the last couple of years their attack has moved on to another dimension and I'm a bit surprised that Andy Farrell only uh, picked three centres. If I'm if I'm being honest, uh, Kieran Frawley is obviously in and he can play twelve. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming more and more apparent that he, Andy Farrell is looking <laughs> at him now. As is it
0: now? Are we are we there now? Are we able to say that he is looking at him as an out half?
1: For sure, and it's even telling that in the IRFU's like graphic that they released, mm-hmm. uh, Kieran Frawley is listed as an, an out half and that is it's very interesting because I would say in Leinster it's not as it's definitely not as set in stone Stuart Lancaster l- likes to have a second playmaker and Ross Byrne is much more highly regarded in Leinster than he is in the Ireland coaches eyes and that could create a bit of tension now it, it should be pointed out that the Kieran Frawley picked up an injury uh, last month and he was starting out half in that game so we're still early on in the season maybe the Leinster coaches are being swayed as well but it wouldn't be like Leinster and kind of the IRFU to have a bit of friction so so that's one certainly to, to watch Like so three centres is leaving yourself a little bit light, James mm-hmm. Hume I think would have been in there, he's in the Ireland A squad but he's only coming back from the injury that he picked up in New Zealand as well so um, I, I would say it's quite flexible, like if James Hume ends up starting in that A game you know, he could definitely come into the senior squad because one injury to Robbie Henshaw, Stuart McCloskey and Gary Ringrose and Ireland look pretty light there or one injury away from a centre crisis? Well, yeah, like of all positions, the centre seems to be one that throws up a lot of issues, even in, I think I'm right in saying in 2018, it was an absolute disaster Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose both picked up injuries Mm -hmm. and Bundy Aki, I think, was the only player, only centre to play to start in every game and he's a big loss. Like that red card... um, that he picked up for Connex was very very costly he deserved the the ban that he got I don't think he can have many complaints despite his protestations at the, at the at the time but it's been very very costly and at a time when you know I know it's still so far away to the World Cup but it's really coming into focus now mm-hmm. and these games are massively important particularly that South Africa game um, you kind of touched on it there it, it's almost a pity that that isn't at the back end of the month because I still think there's question marks over Ireland when they go up against a really physical pack and there is no better test than going up against South Africa I think we saw it in the Six Nations France are a very beefy pack and they caused Ireland you know, problems it was the only game that Ireland obviously lost this year in terms of the, the senior team so um, there's a lot to be gained from that they're going to be playing South Africa in the World Cup pool stages obviously as well and if they were able to build on you know a series win in New Zealand by beating the world champions in Dublin I think it would be massive for confidence people would probably lose a the rudder themselves <laughs> I was going to say, say yeah. should yeah. might as
0: well throw in um, beating England then in that warm up game that was announced yeah, well. Yeah, well, that, sure. then the World Cup was just th-
1: going to come back to Ireland that <laughs> World Cup warm up game didn't go as well as the last <laughs> exactly. time did it so um, when England absolutely hammered Ireland then it really kind of set the tone mm-hmm. for what was to come in Japan but uh, it's great though it's great to be able to play South Africa and you know I, I just listed out the kind of the injury concerns that Andy Farrell has I just hope that by the time that game comes around, that it's two full teams. And I, I mean that from a South Africa point of view as well. It would be amazing mm-hmm. to to pit Ireland up against the world champs. Like I said, a, a kind of team that they've struggled with. So you really hope that it's not going to be a patched up team by the time it comes around in just under three weeks now.
0: Wow, yeah, it's going to come around so quickly. So you, you touched as well on the Ireland days playing against New Zealand in the RDS and the uh, ODS, and New Zealand have named um, a really exciting squad mm. for that as well. So what way are the coaches going to be looking at this? Yeah, I would say
1: gorgeous. similar enough to how they use the Maori games in, in the summer. Now, the New Zealand A team or New Zealand 15, All Blacks 15, mm. whatever they've called it, um, I would say are probably going to be much stronger than the than the Maori team because there's going to be a lot of guys in that team, like guys like Damien McKenzie are going to have their side set on getting back into the All Black squad, particularly ahead of the World Cup. So this is going to be a massive, massive test. It's the night before the South Africa game at the RDS, but it's a great opportunity for some of the younger guys particularly the ones who I would say impressed on the emerging Ireland tour recently for all that that got kind of criticised and Mm -hmm. I know the provinces weren't happy. You even saw like the likes of Jack Crowdy and Tom O'Hearn come back from Munster. Last week and the confidence that they played with on the back of being in, you know, I, I know it wasn't the full Ireland setup, but they were working with all the Ireland coaches, except apart from Andy Farrell. So, uh, yeah, like they've named a, a 12, a 12 man squad for the Ireland day, which obviously isn't enough to even fill a team. But my understanding is it will be supplemented by players who aren't going to be in the matchday squad for that South Africa game. And I wouldn't be surprised if they call up another couple of guys um maybe younger guys in the next couple of weeks uh, if they impress in the URC so um, it's an exciting squad like Tom O'Hearn Jack Crowley are in it like I said I think they would have been even pushing hard to get into that that Ireland squad particularly if Ireland had seen Kieran Frawley as a centre I think Jack Crowley is really knocking on the door now and has probably overtaken Harry Byrne who just who just can't stay fit at all so uh, no Nathan Doke, I think was a mm-hmm. bit of a surprise Caelan Blade is in there and um, really surprised with that actually even in terms of the 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 Ireland senior squad in terms of omissions there wasn't too many kind of shocks I'd say but I was really surprised that Nathan Doak wasn't in there he's been outstanding for Ulster was really good on that emerging Ireland tour but clearly uh, Andy Farrell and the coach you see something in Caelan Blade
0: Yeah okay well we're talking about people being left out and the big news uh, from Scotland today is that Finn Russell has been left out for their Autumn Nations series with Jamie Ritchie taking over the captaincy there
1: yeah, big changes. Stuart Hogg obviously, you know, stripped of it and maybe that could be a blessing in disguise. He I think he spoke about already the pressure that he was feeling and stuff in carrying that weight and maybe if he doesn't have that he it can kind of free him up to do what he does best. But yeah, the the relationship between Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend just seems so bizarre. Like we we know the fallout that they had mm-hmm was it last year Um, and they seem to have smoothed things over he was back in the squad but although things get complicated it seems when players aren't playing within you know the country and it's the same for Ireland when they don't have full control over them obviously Racing are paying Finn Russell's wages they want him to to be playing in the top 14 but there's rumours that Finn Russell won't be staying in Racing next season so it'll be very interesting to see I wouldn't say he'd have any great desires to come back to, to Scotland if he's not going to be in the thing he, he's not going to be in the national squad he could end up in Japan or somewhere but I'm int- just
0: going to say now when we went over to Rossing in October mm. uh, Finn Russell was so kind gave the kids my kids his jersey brought them around the dressing room and he got on great with Mike Prendergast
1: he did. My Brennergas uh, always spoke very, very highly of so him. So what I'm
0: trying to say is, maybe we'll end up in Munster.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's I've, I've just <laughs> been big up Jack Crowley. And now you know, you now you want him to sign Finn Russell, but it's it's interesting. I would like they've moved Blair Kinghorn from full-back to out half, and personally, from what I've seen, I don't really get that. Even Adam Hastings mm-hmm. is playing over in Gloucester, and I don't think he's in the squad either. And he he I actually caught a bit of the Gloucester game against Bristol last weekend, and he looks pretty good. So. Um, you never really know what's going on in Scotland, do you? It, it always seems like a bit of a, a bit of a basket case.
0: Yeah, it really does. Uh, we're talking about fixtures as well coming up, and uh, just briefly, we we mentioned that Ireland are going to be hosting England as part of their preparations for the 2020, 2023 Rugby World Cup. So on the nineteenth of August, after England's double header against Wales, uh, first in Cardiff and then in Twickenham, they're going to be playing against Ireland here at the Aviva Stadium and there does seem to be a lot of fear now around this decision for reasons of past meetings ahead of World Cups.
1: Yeah, well, like I mean, yeah, they'd be scarred by it because it was just so brutal the last time. It was in Twickenham and, yeah, like I said earlier, it did really set the tone for what was to come. But I think Ireland are in a different place. You know, Andy Farrell was part of that coaching staff Mm -hmm. and Ireland were coming into that... um, if I'm not mistaken into that hammering they got off England on the back of an intense uh, training camp in Portugal and they touched down like the day before so there were a lot of kind of weird things going on around it obviously there was no excuse to lose by that much but yeah the, the World Cup like I said is really shaping up now when you look at November and I believe that Ireland are going to be taking on Italy, I think, um, in a warm-up game as well, and possibly Samoa in France uh, as well. So, you know, they played Italy, I think, in the last the last warm-up games as well because Joey Carberry, I think, got injured and did his ankle in that game. And, you know, you're not kind of sure how much you're going to learn. The idea of the warm-up games is you want to play the type of teams that you're going to be playing at the World Cup, but it's very hard to get someone like the Springboks. So that's why I think the November game is really important for them.
0: I know um, when it comes to breaking stories, you're always really good at it, again And I'm such an admirer of uh, of yours when it comes to journalism. <laughs> but uh, it was a confirmed today that Leinster Rugby are going to play against Chile on the 18th of November A story that you had weeks ago. Um, but an interesting one.
1: It is, yeah. Um, Chile have just qualified for the World Cup in the first for the first time in their history, so there'll obviously be a good buzz uh, around that. Like Leinster will be decimated in terms of the Ireland A and the Ireland squad, but like you look at the depth, we speak about it so much that Leinster have, and it'll be a brilliant opportunity to test themselves against international opposition. I think it's on a Friday, at two p.m. in Energia Park in Donnybrook. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be free in as well. Oh, Naturally, it's an early kickoff, so it's it'll be it'll be tough for people to get there with work and school and that. But like, absolutely, if you. Can get to see Leinster playing against an international team it doesn't happen that often and like I said Chile are going to be at the World Cup so if you can get in for free why not
0: absolutely and just to finally before we finish up uh, we did as well briefly mention that big game coming up between uh, Munster and Leinster thoughts on it uh,
1: yeah I'd like uh, Munster were so so improved in everything that they did last week I mean, but I don't think supporters or the coaches will be getting ahead of themselves at all particularly with what's coming this weekend I think if you know Craig Casey's injured and tyke Byrne in particular if he's not going to play and your sense would probably be that if he's in the Ireland squad he might be wrapped in cotton mm-hmm. wool particularly for that for that South Africa game so uh, it'll be very tough it'll be very very tough for Munster but uh, they have to fire a shot that every time they've gone up to Dublin over the last few years they've found it really really tough and I would like to see them kind of sticking with tr- trusting the, the young players I think supporters can definitely get behind that it was one of maybe the flaws of the, the previous year that younger guys weren't trusted enough so I think it'll be tough for them, but as long as they fire a shot and I think entrust the youth, I think supporters will be happy to see them moving in a positive direction.
0: Yeah, keep making progress. Keen Tracy, as always, thank you so much for coming in. We're going to take a very quick break, but stay with us. We'll be talking about Ireland's medals at the European Boxing Championships next.
1: Game on on 2FM.
0: Welcome back. It is 21 minutes past six. I'm Marie Crow. This is Game On and we are turning our attention to boxing now. I'm delighted to say that Gavin Casey of The 42 joins me on the line. Gavin, Gavin, I said at the start of the show that it is raining medals for our women's boxers at the European Championships in Montenegro. Let's start with Kelly Harrington because she is, of course, our Olympic champion. She had a tough test, but she came through it.
2: Yeah, it was really tough against England. Shauna Whitnow, who was probably going to prove a challenge if Kelly keeps going the way she's going towards um, the Olympic defence. There really wasn't a great deal to split them in the first couple of rounds, Marie. Kelly traditionally does more mid-tourness and sort of gets better as they progress. And it's funny, almost the fight itself was a microcosm of that trend in the sense that Mm -hmm. even though she had it all but wrapped up on the scorecards, she finished the third round especially convincingly, won it on all five judges' cards and it was just a really good victory. I think for a long time, uh, earlier in Kelly's career, there were probably ways of getting at her if you were a real physical aggressor, come-forward type of fighter. But Kelly now is physically uh, extremely strong, has has really up her body strength, and is able to fend off that type of challenger. I think if she is going to be beaten at some point in the next couple of years, it will be by a boxer. And John Whitnall, this English fighter, was pretty close, but just not close enough. Kelly, that extra 2-3% That put Kelly over the top at lightweight. was enough for her to progress to the semi-finals. And this is the missing medal, if you like, in Kelly's trophy cabinet. She's won Olympic gold. She's won world championship gold. Only injury thwarted her efforts to win European gold in 2019. Mm -hmm. She had to withdraw from the European Games final and, and took silver. So this is for the grand slam of sorts of major gold medals in boxing.
0: With women's boxing, like we're obviously looking at Katie Taylor and she is coming to the latter stages for her career, but still performing at an unbelievable level. Does age become a factor earlier on, or you know is it kind of is it okay for women or easier for women to to go that little bit later in their careers in boxing?
2: I think honestly, it does come down to the individual the same way it does in male boxing, and I think with somebody like Kelly Arrington especially. I've known her to prepare extremely meticulously uh, for many years. Like she treats her body like a temple. She takes the training extremely seriously. We call this amateur boxing in that it's an Olympic sport mm-hmm. and they're not paid to do it, but it's not amateur at all. Um, you often hear of people being concerned that professionals were allowed to compete in the last two Olympics and it's like, oh, you're putting in professionals with amateurs, which are the amateurs the crap out of a lot of those professionals pardon the uh, expressions <laughs> that these amateur boxers are, are training as full-time professionals and with somebody like Harrington she will get the absolute most out of her athleticism yeah. out of her reflexes etc for as long as she continues to prepare that way and of course overnight you can go old in the ring we've seen that happen before but doesn't look like that's going to be the case for Harrington over the next couple of years fingers crossed anyway
0: Yeah because those Olympics will come around uh, very quickly as well so Caitlin Farr is also added to the medal hall in Montenegro Um, Belfast light flyweight and she won a split decision in Montenegro
2: Yeah to be honest she was pretty dominant over her Bulgarian opponents and she sort of cruised to the finish line in that final round that was Ireland's fifth medal Kelly was their sixth and just to put that into a little bit of context for people like I do feel it's important sometimes because of the success that the bosses tend to bring us, not only every four years, but at these major championships mm-hmm. throughout the uh, Olympic cycles. Like It needs to be almost accentuated how extraordinary this is. So just add a little bit of layer of uh, context to it, their previous death tally at the European Championships was in 2019. They took all three medals. They've literally doubled that tally at the European Championships in Montenegro. It's the most any Irish male or female have won uh, a major championships, excluding Northern Ireland and the Commonwealth Games. So I'm talking about European, World, Olympics. For any team to come home with six medals, all of the colours of which, by the way, are yet to be determined, obviously, and that those boxes have just won quarterfinals and there are, oh, there are semifinals and hopefully finals to come, is uh, one of the great achievements in Irish boxing in recent years. It's just the fact that maybe there hasn't been so many of them, sometimes it can get lost a little bit
0: how have they done it that they've doubled their haul and that they have so many women competing at this level
2: I think it actually just comes down to uh, firstly there being a little bit of a pathway laid by Katie Taylor predominantly of course and, and maybe the fact that her success in 2012 was such um, an iconic national moment in time not just a, a sort of a sporting achievement I'm sure it did inspire generation. that can almost be a cliche to a degree, but I'm pretty, you know, pretty sure something like that would have. But it's not only down there. I think it's, it is down to the infrastructure in, in the coaching. And I really mean from the clubs all the way up to the high-performance units. Boxing has always been ahead of the curve in sport, in Ireland especially, in involving girls and not necessarily... Um, I don't mean discriminating towards girls, but not discriminating between yeah. boys or girls in the sense that the athletes at a young age get very similar treatment. And there's never been any... Um, uh, in yeah. boxing there's never been a sort of a stigma really or, or difficulty for girls to compete at least in the last sort of, 15, 20 years mm. it's been sanctioned in this country and, and I think it's honestly a uh, better in the capital everybody involved in Irish boxing at all levels that we have now got arguably the best women's team on the planet for a country our size and with the you know relatively sparse resources we have at our supposed to to something like uh, Britain for example or the USA uh, it's quite extraordinary and it feels as though this is the continuation of something, but it's not necessarily the culmination. Like a lot of these fighters that are competing in Borja Montenegro are extremely young. You mentioned Caitlin Fighters, that was her first major medal. Uh, you mentioned her, Shannon Sweeney yesterday from mm-hmm. Mayo won her first major medal at a European Championships, And it feels like the conveyor belt is only starting to properly bear fruit now. And after Katie Taylor, after Kelly Harrington, we just have several elite fighters on the way up with an eye on Paris.
0: And EFA O'Rourke is in quarterfinal action this evening as well. And when you, the the girls that you mentioned there and just even the geographical spread and you throw in EFA too, been from Roscommon, it just shows that there must be coaching, the right coaches around and the right resources right around the country too.
2: Yeah, 100%. And look, a lot of the ideological disputes within the IABA that I've been Speaking about it on your show previously, and, and some of those divides in Irish boxing almost come down to that as well, in the sense that maybe uh, some of those coaches, trainers at a grassroots level, at clubs in all four cor- corners of the country, um, maybe feel a little bit underappreciated, or, or maybe that their contributions aren't valued to the extent that they should be, uh, and that there's a little bit of a separation between them, say, and the high performance unit, which is ring fencing, and the final decisions on team selections, and, and some such which will. Uh, fall upon the people involved in Abbottstown but I think Irish boxing fans um, and anybody who really consumes yeah. the sport or follows it understands the role that all of these coaches play in, in yeah. Ulster and in, in, in all four provinces exactly as you say the spread of the team uh, even to have two girls from the West in, in Shannon and Evo O'Rourke who's literally in the ring right now uh, two from <laughs> Belfast and in quarter finals Carly McNoelm, Michaela Walsh you could go on and yeah. it is uh, an all Ireland sport and women all over the country are really thriving in it
0: yeah it's great because clearly they're getting um, equality of opportunity which is all you can ask for really uh, it was a tough day for KC Rock daughter of former Irish professional champion Jim
2: yeah tough one uh, to be fair she had lost to that opponent a couple of times already this year and um, she'll listen it's just one of those ones where she'll come again with a convincing unanimous decision to but to it's only one of two quarterfinal defeats Yeah, Eva O'Rourke, I'm I'm literally watching her as I'm speaking to you so I'm hoping that she can pick up a seventh medal sometime (laughs) just after this call but yeah, Casey will come again the same as Carly McNall who had a brilliant Commonwealth Games only a couple of months ago Um, but to have eight athletes in quarterfinals at a major championships, and for six of them so far to have won those quarterfinals is uh, exceptional and I'm pretty sure even Carly and Casey will be Roaring on the rest of their teammates, that there is a really strong camaraderie within this group, I think as well. And you often see that or hear it probably more likely when you're watching a stream, and you can hear some familiar voices cheering on their team. So, um, all in all, it, it's positive.
0: I interviewed Jim out at the airport after the girls and and women came back from the World Championships and he made the point in the interview that he never thought he would see a day like that when you've got this whole team of Irish uh, women heading to World or European Championships to box for Ireland. So um, I can imagine what it's been like for him just to have been part of it and to see it completely evolve to a situation where he has a, a daughter on that stage
2: yeah I'd say that's an, an absolutely <laughs> unbelievable feeling for uh, you know especially for, for your daughter to pick up mm-hmm. where you left off to sort of yeah. I know like Jim obviously made his name as a professional boxing yeah. boxer more so but we've maybe seen it more typically where a, a son might follow yeah. following his father's footsteps into the ring but for Casey Rock to be operating at such a high level you know regardless of the defeat today uh, for her to even be a fraction of the fighter her father was and she's more than that you know it, it's quite the story and yeah, it's really interesting that Jim would have had that interpretation of women's boxing. I mm-hmm. think even, honestly, going back even to 2012, where Katie Taylor brought, say, women's boxing into the mainstream sporting conversation in Ireland, it would have been difficult to envisage a week like the one that this Irish team is having. And when you think about it, okay, that feels like a long time ago. And Katie Taylor, as you've mentioned, has gone on to achieve so many other things there in the professional ring. But it's only been 10 years. Like, imagine yeah. what another 10 might do for uh, women's boxing in this country and the thing is in the past where Katie Taylor and, and say Peter Gogarty before her in the professional ring uh, blazed the trail for probably a smaller number of young female athletes to take up a pair of gloves and, and try to follow in their footsteps now you've got we're literally talking about six medalists at the European Championships we're talking about two world champions and Amy Broadhurst and Lisa O'Rourke who isn't Feeding this week, by the way, because of injury, and in her place, you have Christina Desmond, who probably felt um, harshly overlooked in recent times, who has guaranteed herself a medal. So a world champion misses out, and, and Christina Desmond from comes in and wins a second European medal, actually, because she won one in 2016. So there's depth now, and there are um, a multitude of fighters that the next generation can look up to, try to replicate, and try even to for that.
0: Gav, I'm waiting for the time, and it's going to come very quickly when. We're talking about the sons and daughters of women that we know of, famous sportswomen from the last decade or or so, and that have played in all Ireland finals on the telly and played in um, soccer internationals and went over and, and played in women's super league or whatever for their kids to come along because it's so, it's such a it's a rare enough thing. Now we do we do get it sometimes, but I think it's going to become a real normal thing now, where because we're, there's so much more of a spotlight on women in sport that. Um, It'll be the, the children of the women that we'll be talking about and I'm really looking forward to that. But before I let you go, Gav, Katie Taylor is fighting in a week and a half?
2: Yes, yes. she is. Uh, I'm going, by the way,
0: again. Are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a dedicated fan now. I've travelled the world to watch her. It's only over in Wembley. Like, what else would I be doing?
2: <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm actually not going to make this one because it's Cork Jazz weekend and <laughs> I just decided I have to put myself Gav. first for one. I know, I know. You're off, I'll be you're shocked.
0: off the, uh, the, you're out of the fan club now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: listen, it's not my job to be a fan. Uh, but listen, before, before you let me go, make that seven medals. Oh, uh, no, no, Job done on a 4-1 split decision against Budra Izildar from Turkey. So just unbelievable. We started this conversation with six European medals. We finished it with seven guaranteed in the bag. And now it's just about what colours they become over the next few days.
0: Brilliant, Gav. Uh, Keep us up to speed anyway. It's uh, raining medals. Uh, Hopefully it will stay that way. We will talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks, Mum Marie. Now it's time to talk football. I'm delighted to say that Keith Tracy is with me in studio. Keith, how are you?
3: I'm very well, Marie. How are you?
0: Good. I'm going to start with a little bit of news, a bit of good news um, for Evan Ferguson, who celebrated his 18th birthday by signing a new three and a half year deal at Brighton & Hove Albion.
3: Yeah, look, it's good news from an Irish point of view that he's going to be at Brighton for the next three and a half years, but I'm very reluctant, you know, to, to really put the spotlight on him because it seems, you know, anybody at the underage level that shows a little bit of promise, the whole weight of the country is behind him, and it's probably a sign of where we are as a country and, and the desperation we are for a gold scorer. But look, he's a, he's a fantastic young talent, but that's what he is. He's shown great, great signs at the minute, and he has all the potential in the world, but it is still just potential, so just... Give him a bit of time, everybody.
0: I <laughs> know ah, we, we don't we don't do things that way now. We <laughs> like to pile all the pressure on and then see what happens. Look, I guess when we're we're talking looking ahead to Ireland friendlies that are coming up, uh, and we would like to see Troy Parrott, and then there you go. I mean, we we've done this before, where um, we were even talking about Troy Parrott potentially standing in for Harry Kane at some stage in Spurs, you know, and we can see where things go and how. Um, how tricky it is and difficult to to make that breakthrough. But um, with Evan, you would hope that injury, he'll stay injury free because he does seem to have the raw materials that you need anyway.
3: Yeah, he definitely does, you know, looking from, from the outside in, I, I spoke to a lot of people about him uh, in and around the sports scene, I know Pat Fenlon has dealt with him an awful lot in his uh, in his career and he speaks really, really highly of him and Pat is quite a hard man to, to impress, so Pat has a really high, uh, high opinion of Evan as a person, not just a footballer, he's apparently really, really humble as a boy as well, so... All, all, he has all the tools to go on and become. And he's huge. He is huge, yeah. <laughs> Even for a, for an eighteen-year-old boy, he's a at big, a picture big boy. There,
0: you said boy, and I'm looking at him there, and it just looking at him, he does not look like a boy. Yeah,
3: he look. He has all the physical attributes. <laughs> he really does. He's he's a big, big boy. But this is it. He, he is eighteen, and you know, I, I feel like we've seen him with Aaron Connolly, we've seen him I with know. Troy parrott and I just, I do think he's going to be a fantastic footballer. I'm just reluctant to you know throw him into the force team and get him into the World Cup squad just <laughs> yeah <you. laughs>
0: and we don't learn any lessons either by the way we just do the same thing over and over yeah well,
3: like I said Marie I think it's more of a sign of where we are as, as a as a country at the minute and we're, we're searching for somebody and you know it's it's not a great place to be in but somebody's going to stand up, stand up eventually and and you know, make us that little bit of a better team
0: yeah ok look we'll get there and we'll be talking about it again in the future let's uh, talk about the Premier League though because it is a huge night for the Premier League loads of massive games on it we're going to cross over to um, some of our reporters in a few minutes we have um we have someone at Liverpool, West Ham and the big one as well, Man United and Spurs. So uh, let's start with Chelsea and uh, Brentford. Chelsea are starting to get a few injuries but still they seem like they're impressive.
3: Yes, yeah, they are impressive. I really like what Graham Potter's has done with them since he came in. Uh, they're sitting in fourth at the minute. They've got a game in hand over third place as well. And it, really impressive in the last five games, is five wins on the bounce in all competitions. Scored twelve goals, but even more impressive than that, they've only conceded one goal and, and kept four clean sheets. So, yeah, although Chelsea are clicking as a, as an attacking as an attacking force, defensively they're they're going under the radar as well. Has been really really solid. So, it is starting to click, and I thought Graham Potter might have took a little bit longer, given the amount of egos that's in the Chelsea dressing room, but he's taken to a to an elite club like a duck to water
0: yeah and there was a time as well where you would think Brentford would pose more of a challenge but it doesn't feel like it's the case now
3: yeah, well they, they do have a you know Ivan Tony scored six goals in his last f- uh, five Premier League games so they do have a threat Brentford and they, they have this knack of just torning over big clubs in London especially London clubs coming to them as well they love a London derby so it won't be easy for Chelsea by any means but I just expect them with the firepower they have and being so defensively resilient I expect them to get over the line on that one
0: uh, Keane Tracy was in here a little bit earlier on and he had been over at Old Trafford watching Newcastle and Manchester United on Sunday and he really enjoyed the experience but said it was an absolutely terrible game. Uh, Newcastle-Everton tonight, you'd expect it to be a little bit better? Yeah,
3: I think it will. I think uh, I think Everton will go there and for want of a better phrase, try and park the bus. I know Lampard will try and, try and hit them on the counter-attack but... Newcastle are a totally totally different team to the to the ones we've seen over the years. They've got so much attacking talent with Bruno Guimarães in the middle. I know Isak the 60 million sign and is injured and out till after the World Cup, but it really hasn't dented them whatsoever and You know, everybody's talking about the amount of uh, attacking talent that Newcastle have but they're boasting the best Mm. uh, defensive Premier League record as well at the minute so Eddie Howe's doing doing a really good job there and if they could start turning the draws into wins they could be real contenders for the race into Europe
0: Yeah they are starting to turn into one of those teams that are difficult to break it down at the back and then what you get is not great football or not as entertaining as you'd like to see from a team that there eventually will be a lot of expectation on
3: yeah, well, look, they spent two hundred million in the last two transfer windows, so with that comes expectation. But I, I do think they're playing well. You, you, you my mind would immediately go back to when they drew three 0 with Manchester City, and they were really, really good in that game. You know, it. They didn't. You know, it wasn't a smash and grab draw by any by any stretch of the imagination. They've just had too many draws. So I think they've only had two or three wins so far this season. So they need to just turn those draws into wins. And like I said, they they could really be. At the top end of the table, which is what all the majorities want.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? And, and uh, they're difficult to please as well.
3: <laughs> they are. They are. They, I've I played there before, and that that would be the first thing that every manager says. You know, use the crowd against them, keep them quiet, get them on the edge of their seats, and just kill the game. And th- it can become a really horrible place to play if you're if you're a home uh, a home player as well.
0: Do you think that? Um I know they've they've kind of hit the headlines and there I suppose the perception is out there that they haven't spent that much money but the stats would tell you differently they are actually spending quite a lot of money do you think that by the end of the season they will be where they want to be
3: it's, it's very, very difficult because although Newcastle have improved an awful, awful lot so has an awful lot of teams in the Premier League I didn't think Arsenal would be as strong as they are to be honest with you I knew Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus were going to be outstanding signings I didn't see them being as strong as this and if you're saying Arsenal looks you in for the race to Europe you're thinking who's going to miss out is it going to be Tottenham is it going to be Manchester United so for Newcastle to to push their way in, they're going to have to push an elite club out, which is you know, which makes us all the more entertaining for us.
0: Okay. Well, the first game that we have a reporter at is Peter Smith, who is standing by at Old Trafford for Man United and Spurs. Peter, any team news?
4: Well, we're still waiting on team news. It's a 2015 kick-off, so we're probably about half an hour away from getting confirmation. Seems to be a feeling that Christian Eriksen might be back in contention for United, having missed Sunday's game with illness. Scott McTominay is free from suspension, so don't be surprised to see his name on the team sheet. But the question that we ask at every Manchester United game is... Will Ronaldo be in the starting lineup? He was a starter on Sunday in that goalless draw against Newcastle. Didn't play the full 90 minutes, of course. Will he, won't he? Well, that's something to keep an eye on. For Spurs, we know that they're going to be without Richarlison. He sustained a calf injury in that game against Everton last weekend. But a big night for Tonham Hotspur. If they are to be really considered as Premier League title contenders, they need to reverse a current trend. The manager, Antonio Conte, has lost his last three games here as a manager. He's only three games. He's lost each and every one of them. And Spurs have suffered a club record high of 38 Premier League losses to Manchester United. That has to be addressed if they are to be serious title contenders this season.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, Just listening to him there talking about Ronaldo, Keith, it does feel like we are having that conversation over and over again and no one has come up with the right answer because uh, at the weekend there, there were moments where he was brilliant, but at the same time he would frustrate you with his attitude. Would you put him on?
3: For me, yeah, I would. I think Ronaldo's at the the stage of his career now where it's horses for courses and the first thing I think of when I think of Ronaldo and you think of Tottenham is the hat-trick he scored in Old Trafford last season. So for me, I would play him you know, would they necessarily play him in every big game that Manchester United have this season? No. You know, I I think that's a conversation that has to happen between Ten Hag and Ronaldo that you're going to be used sparingly this season. We still think you're an outstanding player. We still want you to score 20 goals this season, but you're going to be restricted in what you do. But that, you know, what Manchester United need, they need a Rashford to catch fire so they can tell Ronaldo you're on the bench because he's scored in so many goals. And nobody's really taken the bull by the horns to take it away from Ronaldo. So, While United are still a bit flaky in front of goal, you know, Ronaldo's always going to get chances.
0: Matt Doherty has been in the headlines quite a bit over the last few weeks because his relationship with Antonio Conte has been of interest Conte made some comments about Doherty, they were probably taken out of uh, context a little bit because he was or last in translation I should say a little bit Um, he suggested that if he was picking a team that he wanted to win that he wouldn't put Doherty in it however since then uh, Doherty has started to get his place and seems to have reacted really well to what the public perceived as criticism and you could even see um, over the weekend that Conte and Art Doherty seemed to be getting on really well they even had a little bit of a hug so maybe it was a little bit of a kick that Doherty needed
3: yeah uh, sometimes managers will do that where they'll try and fire a player up to try and get a bit of fire in his belly and immediately my mind will go back to when Jose Mourinho did it with Luke Shaw when he came into Manchester United and he sort of threw the gauntlet down to Shaw he told him he didn't fancy him he thought he was overweight and we've seen how Luke Shaw reacted. It was absolutely mm-hmm. excellent. So if Matt can can react in the way that Luke did, and look, I I don't think Conte would be as harsh just to come out in into the press and say I don't fancy him as a player, and you know be be telling Matt different things to his face. I think we all know that Matt needs to defend defend an awful lot better going forward. Is his, is his main weapon? We know that but defensively he can be questioned a lot and when you have an Italian manager that's always going to be the number one thing that he looks at because we we know the Italians love to be defensively rigid they play five at the back and if you're you're defensively wanting it's never going to be a match made in heaven with, with Conte
0: yeah, it's actually going to be a, an interesting thread for the season just to see how he does fare under Conte and if he gets back into that starting team on a regular basis because obviously that's what we here um, in Ireland want to see is, is as much majority playing um, at that level of football as possible. Well, Liverpool are in action against West Ham tonight at half seven. It feels like Liverpool have turned a corner. Shane Pennington, is it Anfield for us? Shane, have they turned
5: a corner? Well, after the euphoria of beating the champions here on Sunday, Liverpool did answer some of their critics, but well, Jurgen Klopp will want his side to build on that performance here tonight, won't they, as they look to sustain some momentum. that's seen just one defeat now in five matches, as they look to get their season back on trap. Trying to stop them tonight, though, is a West Ham side who are only one of two sides to beat Liverpool last season. David Moy's men have also seen an upturn in fortunes since they lost across Stanley Park last month. It's five games unbeaten now for the Hammers, as they look to improve a poor away record that's seen just four wins from their last 19 matches. As for the team news then, well, Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp has made five changes from the side that beat Manchester City here on Sunday. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Costas Simakas, Jordan Henderson, Fabio Carvalho and Darwin Nunes all come in to start. They replace James Milner, Andy Robertson, Fabinho, Diego Jota and Harvey Elliott. Whilst for West Ham, well, David Moyes makes three changes from the team that drew one-all with Southampton on Sunday. Kurt Zuma, Flynn Downs and Pablo Fornells all come in to start. They replace Vladimir Soufal Lucas Paqueta and Emerson
0: OK thank you so much for forward to you following that game at Anfield Shane Pennington there do you feel that Liverpool have turned a corner or is that one of those ones where you're up against the champions things aren't going well you're able to raise your game but can you do it consistently
3: yeah that's exactly what I, I would have been thinking Marie you know you'd expect them to raise it against Man City their biggest rivals over the last five six years whatever it would be and this, this is a tougher game than, than you would have thought it would be for Liverpool because West Ham had a, had a dreadful start to the season a little bit like Liverpool started to turn it around really starting to come into it but I, I have the, the Liverpool starting team in front of me and all of a sudden there's, there's question marks that just weren't there when you look at Alexander-Arnold listen outstanding going forward but question marks you know I, I'm sure David Moyes will be highlighting him as a defensive mm-hmm. frailty you look at Timicus the left back and Jordan Bowen up against him and then Carvalho is playing on the left wing as well I just think the left side of Liverpool with Timicus Carvalho is a little bit weak and obviously Alexander-Arnold can be got at defensively as well there's just question marks over this Liverpool team defensively for me but like you said you know Salah looks like he started to turn a corner played really well against Manchester City but it all all means nothing if they don't get the win today because you know they need to be winning at home and already 10 points behind Manchester City and that's without even mentioning how far behind they are uh, behind Arsenal
0: It'll be interesting to see how they set up as well because that's been such a focus for the last few weeks since Klopp started to experiment a little bit with his formation
3: yeah well I like the like the 3 I like Nunes up there by himself I think he's a, he's a brilliant focal point and it just takes a bit of the emphasis off Salah and Carvalho because look I, I hate to keep coming back to it but I I think it was a huge mistake getting rid of Sadio Mane you know it was only 30 million and I, I know 30 million is a massive amount of money but we're talking Premier League football here an elite club in mm-hmm. Premier League football and to let somebody go for 30 million when they've got a year left on their contract it it seems like peanuts to me for an elite club so I would have liked Liverpool to keep him I think in hindsight Liverpool would have liked to keep him with you know they're leaning a little bit too much on Carvalho and Salah coming in and out of form and with Jota being injured as well they just look a little bit thin on the ground every now and then so look they still have a strong enough squad Liverpool to, to be on the coattails of Manchester City but the 10 point gap look, looks huge Yeah it
0: does And and look I think it's going to be a big night just in the context of figuring out where exactly Liverpool are at because it is so hard to tell because we haven't seen that consistency and that performance on Sunday in a way when you compare it to how the season has gone so far just in terms of how they've been conceding so many and so quickly as well it does feel like it's more likely they're the team from over the last few weeks as the team from Sunday and West Ham you have that team open in front of us as well and on paper like they're a pretty good team too So, um, and they're starting to, to click.
3: Yeah, I, I really like West Ham I have to say uh, when Samaka came in I, I, I've seen him play for Italy a few times and he he just he, he's a very good footballer don't get me wrong but I didn't think he, w- he would link into West Ham as well as he had when you think of West Ham you think of Antonio Antonio's always running the channels always really physical Samaka will be physical but he doesn't exactly run the channels for you he's not exactly mobile he's more of a, a target man into the box but he's gelled in really well he, he, he looks like a player he's hitting the back of the net and Jordan Bowen he's just missed at West Ham isn't he he's absolutely Mm -hmm. excellent and with Sue Check and Royce the two holding midfielders they've just got an excellent spine West Ham really well drilled and I think David Moyes you know I think every player on that West Ham team would run through a brick wall for him and that's what managers want
0: Okay, well, that game gets underway at half past seven. Thank you so much for coming in, as always, Keith. We're going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us, though. We will be talking about Ireland's impressive win over Scotland today in the T20 World Cup.
1: Game on on 2FM.
0: Well, there was delight for the Ireland Cricket team today as they earned a six-wicket victory over Scotland and reignited their T20 World Cup campaign with a stirring chase down in Hobart. Well, the two heroes today were Curtis Camper and George Dockrell. Let's hear from them.
6: To be honest, we we're really looking at that. We we're just looking at um, different targets for us um, along the way, and then yeah, by the end of it, it kind of just snuck up on us. Um, we had good processes and, and good um, good plans, and that kind of just came off today, and that was kind of the, the story of the day. I must say, the crowd played a massive part in, in batting there, um, feeding off them. It was amazing. A lot of uh, the community has come over um, from Irish cricket, and it's been amazing to see them and the way that they've they've actually re- like lifted us and, and been there for us. It's it's amazing to have all the friends, family, um, girlfriends, or partners. It's it's really been amazing. For for us. I think we're trying to play, you know, a certain way now across across the summer, and, and since Heinrichs come on board, I suppose we're trying to take a little bit of that away from how we play. Trying to play, you know, a similar way, so that you know, despite the situation, whether it is pressure or whether it's you know outside of these competitions, you're able to still do the same things. You know, but again, it's fantastic to have been able to do what we, do what we did today. You know, under the pumps, uh, some of the bowling the ball was fantastic. Um, Air's last over to close out the innings, and in, you know what can be quite a tough spot. And then, you know, Curtis is knocked today. You know, under that pressure, where you know what's going to happen if you lose the game is is, is fantastic and p- really pleasing for the group to have a chase like that um, after a summer whereby our batting definitely uh, went from strength to strength.
0: Curtis Camper and George Rockwell there talking after their win against Scotland. Now, I am delighted to say that Nathan Johns joins us all the way from Australia. Nathan, I told you to keep your phone on, but I didn't think, well, I bet you didn't think that I'd be ringing you at five o'clock in the morning (laughs)
6: <laughs> yeah, not quite, don't worry. Anything, anything for you, uh,
0: But look, I think when something like today happens and it was as exciting and dra- dramatic as it was, it is worth getting out of bed for and having a bit of a chat about it. What was it like being there?
6: It was it was, it was, was incredible. I mean, look, it's not a full stadium by any stretch of the imagination, but Curtis alluded to the Irish fans over there. There's at least 50 plus uh, friends and family that are that are out here, and you know, there's even a few locals I think uh, scattered around that have that have turned out with their with their tricolours, etc. etc. Um, so look, it was it was a fantastic atmosphere. All, all things considered, bizarrely, Ireland haven't actually played Scotland in, in cricket in, since since 2019, despite the geographical proximity and probably the similar similar skill levels of the two sides. Um, so that's always a big one as well to get one over over a side like that that's that's so close to home. So, and of course, with with qualification and, and World Cup survival hopes on the line. Um, As has been well documented now, so look, it had it had it had everything.
0: Yeah, it did, and it also looked like for quite a while that they were on their way to a, a stre- second straight defeat, but they managed to pull it back. Tell us what happened.
6: They were, yeah. So Scotland won the toss and batted, and looked they batted excellently. They have a young opener by the name of Michael Jones, who was to the to the four. Really, he scored eighty six off fifty five balls. I mean, he just kind of he eff- flayed the attack everywhere. There was. You know, one six he hit out onto the roof, and another one he hit down the down the road that rolled down the hill onto the beach, almost <laughs> next door. So it was it was some hitting to watch from him, and he he was ably supported by a few of the other players in that Scotland lineup, including the Scotland captain, who got a few away. And no, look, Ireland did well; they brought it back in the last couple of overs. Scotland could have easily got one hundred and ninety plus, which would have definitely batted Ireland out of the game but Josh Little and Mark there, as was said there on interviews um, bowled quite well at the end to limit things but with the bat look it wasn't quite the, the the disastrous start it was against Zimbabwe but the first four wickets did go down with only 61 runs on the board Ireland needed another, another 116 when uh, Dockwell and camphor came together given that there was about nine and a half overs left that's not beyond the realms of possibility with the amount of runs you need to score every over but with that many amount of wickets down Generally speaking, if you need to score that quickly, you'll lose wickets and then you're into the bowlers doing the job. So it's much harder. So it just makes what the lads did, the two guys, uh, Camphor and Dockwell, uh, what they did, it makes it even more special.
0: So when are they up next, Nathan?
6: They're up next on Friday, which is what, which is tomorrow, might. I mean, not, <laughs> still another two days away for you.
0: Right, we will not try and figure that one on air. Um, so look, what, how would you rate their chances now of, of progressing?
6: Look, honestly, the way this group has gone and the way the competition has gone as a whole um, it's it, no, no result would surprise you uh, after the West Indies lost to Scotland on Monday but beat Zimbabwe who beat Ireland uh, last night um, every side in the group has one win so it's a straight shootout so whoever wins their final two, their final match on, on Friday um, goes through so look, Ireland have got the West Indies it's tough to tell where they are because, like I said, they they lost Scotland, <laughs> but then uh, beat beat decided to beat Ireland on Monday night. So it's kind of everyone's beaten everyone type situation. But look, it's it's one game, as we saw uh, as we saw yesterday, or to this, this morning for you. Um, you only need one or two lads to have you know career best days, and you can win the game. Um, so like I said, neither result would surprise me. I don't think.
0: Okay. Well, um, as I said to you last week before you left, keep your phone on. We'll be in touch. It'll probably be the middle of the night, of course. <laughs> As long as it's exciting and Ireland are winning, we're happy enough to talk about it. Um, but on a serious note, we do really appreciate you taking the call, Nathan, and um, I hope you get back to sleep.
6: Anytime. Thanks, Marie. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Nathan. OK, that is all we have time for on the show tonight. We'll be back tomorrow, starting our build up to all of the weekend sport. Beta Da Silva is up next.
4: RTE 2 FM.